thank you for continuing to listen to Truth and Faith. We're still on the topic of does God exist? In this segment, we're going to begin talking about human conscience. Have you ever wondered where we get our conscience? Everyone has a conscience. They may not always listen to it, but they have one. Evolution and scientific theories cannot explain where the human conscience comes from. Did you know that this tug inside of us that guides us to do right and pulls us away from doing wrong is universal no matter where you live? For example, we instinctively know murder and rape are wrong, regardless of your culture. But why is this the case? Well, this is actually one of the greatest pieces of evidence for God's existence. Join me in this segment as we explore this topic. Thank you for listening. One of the last things I want to share with you guys on a big proof for God, it actually turns out to be pretty ironic because I was taught this as a a detraction to show God doesn't exist. But I hope to show you that I learned it's the other way around. And it's the problem of evil. So let's ask this question then. Does God exist? But let's look at it tonight with a specific idea in mind. Can God exist when we have so much evil in the world? So this was a big problem that they brought up to me, my professors that is. I had one in particular uh, who brought up this idea of if, if there is God, then why is there so much evil? Why doesn't he do something about all the evil in this world? Or they would say, could he not have created a world better than this one because it has so much many problems? Why doesn't he just stop the evil and injustice that's going on? Now, what, what they were raising was what I would call a moral problem to God's existence. What we've been talking about the past two weeks is scientific stuff. Let's look at the science versus evolution versus creation, and do we see evidence for design? Do we see evidence that the universe began to exist? But tonight, you can sort of set the science aside, and let's just think about this concept of evil. They were bringing up a moral objection, something to the effect of, well, I just can't believe in God. Why not? Because uh, this happened to my sister, or so-and-so died from cancer or the Holocaust. That's a big one. You know, how could God let Hitler do what he did? So I just can't believe there's a God that would do that stuff. When you hear those things, that's a moral problem. They're not having a problem with evidence. They just, in their conscience, don't want to believe. But what I want to share with you this evening is that actually can get turned around really easily. The moral, there's a moral objection that goes like this. There is evil and injustice in the world. So there's an option. Option one is God can exist, but maybe he just doesn't care. So he's not a good God. He's there, but he doesn't care that people suffer. Or option two, God does exist, but maybe he's not powerful enough to do anything about all of our problems. So now you have a God that's not all powerful. But what the atheist will conclude is this. By definition, 
the Christian God is all loving, all good, all powerful. Right? The scripture teaches us such concepts as that. So therefore they would conclude because evil exists in our world and God doesn't or can't do anything about it, well, by definition, then he just must not exist or else he would do something about it or he would care enough to, to take action. There's a quote from an atheist. And it's actually sad. This guy taught at Purdue before he died, a philosopher. Well, he, he grew up a Christian. He was an evangelical Christian. He actually went to seminary and got his master of divinity. And throughout that process, he actually sort of walked away from Christianity. And one of his big problems was evil. He couldn't reconcile the God of Scripture with all the evil that we see in our society. So he said these three lines of reasoning. There exist instances of intense suffering, which an omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, omniscient being could have prevented without thereby losing some greater good or permitting some evil quality, bad or worse. That's wordy to say this. His point number one was, there's so much evil and suffering it would seem to me that if there was such a being as an all-powerful God, he would have stopped it. He would have prevented it. Number two, an omniscient, holy, good being would prevent the occurrence of any intense suffering if it could, unless it could not do so without thereby losing some greater good or permitting some evil, bad or worse. The conclusion, number three, this is the point. There does not exist an all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, good being. So this guy, a former Christian, saw all the evil and says, I just can't see how God exists because if God did exist the way the Bible says, he wouldn't allow all this evil. So the conclusion then they make is that he just doesn't exist. So let's talk about conscience. This is what I want to share with you tonight. We talked about docs for proving God, D-O-C-S. We looked at design origins, and now let's look at conscience. Conscience, for me, in my experience, this was a monumental proof that began to solidify in my mind, yes, God absolutely exists. In fact, I'll argue with you, I'll be so bold as to say, if I never saw the evidence of science that we've already looked at, I actually don't need that. And now this is only, I'm speaking only for myself. What I learned through this problem of evil and justice was enough to convince me I don't even have to see the science. Now, the science helps. It's a bonus. But I just want you to know, for me, I was super passionate when I learned this stuff that this is it for me. Let's start with this. I'm going to argue to you tonight that conscience, our conscience inside our souls is one of the biggest proofs that there must be a God. So with that in mind, let's start. Where do our ideas of good and evil even come from? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, have you ever, just in your silence of your soul, thought to yourself, we call something happened good, or we call that this happened evil, or we say there was injustice, or we say that someone suffered or they flourished? There's a concept we talk about things that happen, but have you ever pondered to yourself, where do we even get our language to use that kind of talk? To call something good or evil, good or bad, right or wrong. They suffered or they flourished. So I'm getting at the why. Um, someone, you know, won their game. Well, that was good. Why was that good? Why do we call it that when you win, it was good versus 
Why don't we live in a world, and I know this gets weird to think about, but think about the hypothetical opposite. Why is it that we don't live in a world where when you win, it's bad? You get what I'm saying? Like that you say, well, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in our world. But I'm trying to just say, pretend for a moment that we lived in a world where the opposite is true. He got cancer and it's terminal. Wonderful. I'm excited for you and your family. Like we don't talk like that because that's not reality. Someone gets cancer and it's terminal, we say, that's terrible. You're suffering and I'm sorry that you're suffering. Or they got accepted to college and wonderful, I'm excited for you. That is a good thing. The point is, these very notions of something being considered good or evil, right or wrong, where did that come from? Where does that come from? But let's go a little deeper. Why is it that we instinctively know in our soul that it is wrong to murder? I mean, who would really argue that it's okay to murder? Now, you might get some whack job that does, but Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, but even in our legal system, if that whack job stands before a judge and can actually try to articulate in some weird way that it, it was perfectly fine that he murdered, well, they might be willing to want to declare them insane or incompetent. Because even our justice system knows that's not something's not right with you if you just really thought that, that, that you shooting up this theater or this mall, that that was just perfectly okay. So even our legal system, is what I'm trying to argue, understands for as screwed up as our society is, right, there's still this understanding out there of this is right and this is wrong. We instinctively know rape is wrong. Again, you get someone that says, yeah, but no, here, here's why it's not wrong and here's why. Our response is you're, you're messed up in the head. You're a whack job. Our, our system knows that. We have this inner awareness pulling at us before we engage in an action that we know is wrong. What do we call that inner awareness? conscience. Again, I want to go back to that word. To me, this was a big proof for God. Where, what I'm really getting at, guys, is where does our conscience even come from? Why do we have a conscience versus no conscience? Where does this inner tug of, I know I shouldn't do this? The Bible answers this. It's in Romans 2. In Romans 2, chapter 12, the Apostle Paul actually mentions conscience. And he says this, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Now, in context, he is talking about Gentiles, non-Jews. And the question comes up, well, the Jews were given the Old Testament law through Moses. What about non-Israelite people who never heard of Moses, who never heard of the Ten Commandments? How can God judge them if they've never heard of God's law? That seems unfair, right? Well, Paul answers that. He says, ah, but there is a, there's a point here that God will still judge non-Jewish people for the Old Testament days who didn't have the law, and here's why. He says, all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, okay, so Gentiles who never heard of Moses, they never heard of the Ten Commandments, the stone tablet thing, what about them? Well, Paul says, okay, those Gentiles who never had the law of God, by nature, do what the law requires. So Paul says, they instinctively 
know and follow the law of God. By nature do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law, and this is conscience, is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Okay, so Paul's answer to the question of, you know what, Paul, it doesn't seem fair that God will judge non-Israelite people who never heard of Moses in the Ten Commandments. Paul says it's absolutely fair because God put that law on every human being's heart. And he says the proof is Gentiles instinctively know rape is wrong, murder is wrong, stealing is wrong. They know the Ten Commandments. It's in their heart. The Ten Commandments really is nothing new. In fact, it's sad that God had to write that down. So Paul's sort of saying you should just know from your conscience that I shouldn't lie, I shouldn't steal, I shouldn't take your stuff, I shouldn't take your wife, I shouldn't murder you. You should know that stuff. And that is how God will judge everybody because he's put the conscience in our heart. So again, God has given humanity a conscience. And to me, that's a big proof for God because we can sit back and just ask ourselves, where did this conscience even come from? Someone might say, well, there really are no real rights or wrongs. What's right for me may not be right for Mark. What's wrong for Mark might not be wrong for me. He might not can do it, but I might can do it. But again, Mark may say, I'm not sure that murder is really always wrong. Okay, Mark, can I murder you? Can you ever think of a scenario where I can murder you? A person in their right mind will always, should always tell you, no, you can't murder me. That's wrong. Exactly. That's the point we're trying to make. We don't live this way. People who say, well, look, it might be okay for them, but not for me, or we don't live that way. If someone says that to you, well, I'm just not sure that really there is such a thing as real rights or wrongs. Just ask them back. Can I murder you? Can I take your stuff? Can I steal your truck, your car? We can't do that. It's mine. Who says? What if, it, what if I argue it's right for me to steal your stuff? Well, but the law says, yeah, but laws change. What does it matter what the law says? If I feel like it's okay, why can't I do it? The point I'm trying to get at is we know through conscience these things are wrong. I can't murder you. Why? It's wrong. We know it's wrong. There was a, a Nazi philosopher in World War II. He loved Hitler. His name was Martin Heidegger. Martin Heidegger lived in France when the Germans took over um, a lot of France in World War II, and he wrote a lot of writings and books pro-Hitler. He, he thought Hitler was the, the new law, the new order. Well, when um, the Germans lost and uh, France got their land back, the French government seized all of Martin Heidegger's property. They took his financial accounts, they took his land, they took everything from him. They, took, they did that to a lot of the pro-Nazi supporters. That was their punishment because they supported Hitler, and Hitler did all this stuff. So they come back and said, hey, we won, you lost, you're going to get punished. Well, Martin Heidegger said that he wrote a letter to the French government when they took his stuff, and here's what he said. What justice is there in treating me in this unheard of way is inconceivable to me. So think about this. A pro-Nazi philosopher loved Hitler, was okay with Hitler, going through Europe and trying to wipe out Jews and killed millions of people, trying to conquer the world. He was okay with that. But then when his side lost and the French government takes his stuff as punishment, his argument back is, this is an inconceivable way to treat me. 
In fact, he said, you know, there's no justice here. So he wants to appeal to a higher sense of justice. You can't take my stuff. It's my stuff. It's my property. French government said, yes, we can. You supported a madman. We will take your stuff. But the point I'm making to you is this evil, wicked, pro-Nazi guy here, even he instinctively knew, where's the justice in you taking my property? He appealed to a higher justice out there. I just think it's ironic. The point I'm trying to make is even wicked, evil people know instinctively there's, there's right and wrong. The question again is, but where did these concepts of right and wrong, good and evil come from in the first place? Here's my argument I'm going to make, my bold claim, okay? I'm going to try to prove it to you. You cannot have concepts of good and evil if you do not have God. If there is no God, there is no such thing as real good and evil. Imagine for a moment a world where there is no God. Let's pretend that God really doesn't exist and that somehow the world actually could exist. It spawned into existence. Evolution's true. It just happened to be here. Okay, so we're living our lives. We're the products of evolution. There's no real purpose to our lives. We're just here by chance and, and dumb luck. Okay, let's pretend that that's happening. Who gets to decide then in our society what is right and what is wrong? Who gets to decide the laws? Do y'all get what I'm saying? My argument would be, well, people get to decide for themselves. We are the law. We are the right and wrong. We kind of come together as a society and decide, well, we believe that murder's not a good thing for our society. Because if we all murdered each other, then we would die off. So let's just not murder. And we also believe that maybe theft is bad because if we steal each other's stuff, then we'll all murder each other, and then we, we all die off anyways. So we're sort of left to ourselves to decide what's right and wrong. But here's the problem. Which group of people gets to decide what is right and what is wrong? Don't we see that today in our society? Why do we have wars in the first place? Because some group of people decided that either they need this land or that their view is better than this other group of people, or in Hitler's case, the superior race, he thought, if I kill off all the Jews or re-educate them, I'm helping humanity. Who's to say Hitler was wrong in a world without God? Do you get what I'm saying? It's weird to think about, but think about that, though. How can we say a madman like Hitler was wrong? My argument, if you don't believe in God, it's just left up to your opinion. Hitler thought he was right. The pro-Nazi people thought they were right. Who says they were wrong? You have no basis if you don't believe in God, is my, my point. A world like this cannot exist, it could not exist, because a world with no real conscience would never survive. We would all eat each other alive, is my argument. But we don't. Now, we still try to, don't get me wrong, we still have a lot of violence, right? But there's still this inner conscience that's tugging at each of us where Mark was mad at me and I was mad at Mark, but we still walked away and didn't stab each other. Doesn't always work out that way, right? But still, people deal with a conscience. If you have no God, you have no basis for talking about good and evil. If there is no higher power or authority, then people or entities decide for themselves what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. Therefore, there would be no such real ideas of good or evil. I, I hope this isn't getting confusing, so let me stop right here. 
What I'm trying to argue to you is, if you remove God, there's let's just, let's say God or some might say higher power, whatever you want to call him, okay? If you take out this higher power, higher authority, God, then my argument back to you would be, you have absolutely zero basis for determining anything as being right or wrong, good or evil. It is simply a matter of your opinion and my opinion. Because, I mean, at that point, you've lost any real standard of right and wrong. Good would only mean what worked out for you in your favor. So you would say, well, yeah, this is good. Why is it good? Well, because it worked for me. It benefited me. Or how could you say something was evil? Well, it didn't work out in my favor. I lost. But to the other person, let's think of me and Mark, for example. There's no God, okay? And I say this was a good thing. It worked out for me. I got an advantage. I benefited. Let's say theft. Mark has a better vehicle than me. I think he really does in real life. So I want a better vehicle. I don't have the money for it. I'll take Mark's. I'll steal it. Let's say I can do that and get away with it. Okay, that was good. I won. But Mark lost. He lost a vehicle. So from my perspective, theft could be good because it worked out for me. But from Mark's perspective, theft is evil. It's wrong because he's on the losing end of that theft. Do you get what I'm saying? So, but in a world without God, my argument is, which one of us is truly right or truly wrong in that scenario? Well, there is no one who's really right or wrong. It's just who had the advantage, who come out on top. Mark lost that round. Sorry, Mark. Better luck next time. So that's just how it would work. You could never speak intelligently about something being truly good or evil in a world without God. Now, this is where my journey was in college at this point. I began to realize that the problem of good versus evil is actually not a problem for God. I began to see it is a huge evidence for God. I'll share with you as we keep going again. Because I began to realize that if you don't believe in God, you have absolutely zero basis to claim anything is truly good or evil. You're just simply giving off your opinion. And your opinion is no better than mine and mine's no better than yours. We, however, do not live in a world like this. We instinctively know right and wrong. We may not now hear me clearly. There are criminals, right? There's wars, there's criminals, there's terrorists, there's injustice. Okay, I'm not denying that. But what I'm trying to argue for here is, even though we have criminals out there, they know what they did was wrong, though. I'm not saying that people don't do bad. What I'm trying to say is people know that they're doing bad, but they do it anyways. We know something's right or wrong. What I'm arguing for here is if you don't have God, you really have no basis to judge that what a criminal did was wrong. You just simply have to say, well, he just did something that didn't work out for that guy. But there's no real higher authority that can say he's actually wrong. He just did something that didn't work out for the other guy. But we have conscience. Conscience teaches us, I should do this or I shouldn't do this. I can do this or I can't do this. Again, even a criminal has conscience. Now, he's not listening to his, but he's knowing before he steals or does whatever that, 
you know, the law says I can't do this. If I do, if I get caught, I'll have this penalty. And I would argue in his heart, he's knowing that yeah, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to steal or I'm going to do this. So he does it. But my point is he has to ignore his conscience. Thank you for watching this. If this has been helpful to you, please consider liking, sharing, and subscribing to our channel. Tune in next time as we talk now about how can God and evil coexist.